Love this podcast? Support this show through the supporter feature from Acast. It's up to you how much you give and there's no regular commitment. Just hit the link in the show description to support now. Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here, and it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt-free. Hello Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at hellofresh.com. It's the Keith Walsh podcast. It's essential like your breakfast. It will get you up and going, learn some things you didn't know Yeah, it's the Keith Walsh Podcast It's the Keith Walsh Podcast Give you energy like buck fast And if your head's in a pickle or you're looking for a giggle It's the Keith Walsh Podcast, yeah Well, 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 I feel like I have to be all upbeat now at the start of the podcast Because of my new SIG tune And uh, also because, well, welcome to the podcast, it is the Keith Walsh Podcast. Thanks very much to Ryan Mack, as always, for singing. He does it live every time, which is impressive. Very impressive. Thank you, Ryan. Um, it is the Keith Walsh Podcast. How are we doing? How's things? Uh, I'm going to let you in a little secret. I've been doing this podcast for, I think I'm on episode 11, as we speak. And uh, I just figured out that I've been speaking into the wrong side of my mic. Um, I worked in radio for 20 years. I'm not afraid to admit this. And I was just moving the room around. I'd ordered a new mic because the mic I had was shit. Excuse my language. So I ordered a new mic. Setting up the the desk in the corner because I moved the room around. Put the mic up, noticed a little blue light come from the mic that I'd never noticed before, had a look at it, realised the bloom normally if you have a mic you speak into the light, you know, there's always a little light on the mic, mostly I hadn't noticed there was a fucking mic, a light on the mic before so had a look at where the blue light was and uh, yeah I haven't been sp- I've been speaking into not quite the other side of it but almost so yeah I'm just going to move to Venezuela and live there for the rest of my life and never speak of any of this ever again. So apologies to uh, everybody for my terrible, like, the interviews I've done, the intros I've done, the outros I've done, they're all up there. And all I can say is that things are going to get better. They can only get better, as D-Ream would have said. Kids, look it up, D-Ream. Things can only get better. Um, so how are you all? How's What's going on with you guys? I am in my room, up in the special room. It's Monday, so my daughter is uh, having a grind. She's um, getting grinds for maths. <laughs> that just sounded weird. And uh, so we're all banished to the upstairs part of the uh, the house. I was having a little WhatsApp conversation there. I was, I came up here to do this. You know the way you, you get stuck on your phone. I was having a WhatsApp conversation with my 
I have a WhatsApp group with three of my cousins. Two, one lives in Scotland, one lives Oxford area, and one lives in London. And uh, I might get, I might try and get them on at some stage onto the podcast. But um, John uh, put up a picture of me because today I launched the. I did a virtual launch of my tour, Pure Mental National Tour, coming to Dundalk, uh, Blanchardstown, Dundrum, Mermaid, Watergate, the Theatre, Nace, The Source, and Thurles, Everyman in Cork, Belltable, Limerick, Dunamaze, Port Leash, Glory in Ennis, Linen Hall, Castle Bar. Uh, have a check up on my social media, you'll find out where, and book tickets at your local theatre and come along and see the show. It's very good, it's a one man show. It's kind of funny, it's kind of sad, it's real. And I put up a picture of me somewhere and then my cousin John how you going John he put up a pic he shared this picture and said have you been on the Grecian 2000 you cock um, and <laughs> so I had to reply honestly I said that's me just for men shampoo I told you about it before get on it <laughs> we're too old to be grey Sean, my other cousin in Scotland, says, does it work on beards? Asking for a friend. To which his brother, Connor, replied, does it make it grow back? Asking for my brother. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, I do have... I use it just for men's shampoo that kind of colours your hair but leaves some of it grey so it's not too bad. And then for grey bits in my in my beard, there's a special kind of comb-in one that you, you cover the patches and uh, yeah I don't know saying my cousin was upset with me but he was like yeah he said uh, and they all kind of said I think we'll stay grey for now thanks Keith as in yeah Keith you just carry on doing your thing and I said have you ever watched Ozark I don't know if you've watched Ozark you should watch it it's excellent it's on Netflix it's brilliant Jason Bateman brilliant he wrote it stars in it sang the theme tune not quite but he is in it and he did write it and he is brilliant and I said, uh, do you ever watch Ozark and just stare at Jason Bateman's hair? John replied, I was more of a Ben guy. Hillbilly Keanu Reeves, he said. He was a handsome fella, Ben. But I said, Jason Bateman, what age is he supposed to be? Have you ever looked at his hair? The guy's 52, not a grey hair in sight. So I said, you know what, I'm going to wait. I'm going to wait till I'm 50 and then I'm going to I let it go gracefully at 50. No problem. Absolutely no problem. For John, I'm afraid, might be too might be too late. You see, if you, if you go too grey, it's too noticeable. But if you keep on top for a little bit, um, I think you could get away with it for a bit longer. Anyway, not getting away with it anymore because I've spoken about it on my podcast, which millions of people listen to. Um... And now they've gone on to talk about something else. So I better put my phone down and concentrate on doing my intro for the podcast. This is, let me see, how will I intro this? Okay, so I have asked before for people to send in, to email me. Okay, it's keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com or keithwalshpod at gmail.com either or. If you have an interesting story, we'll get you on the podcast. Send me a little brief synopsis of your story and, uh, you know, we'll chat. 
So I got an email from this young lady, uh, just out of the blue. She'd heard the podcast, she liked the stuff, and she said, uh, I thought I'd send you an email with, she kind of just gave me a basic outline of her life so far, and I thought, this is interesting. This is the kind of stuff I'd like to talk about, and I'd like people, the kind of stuff I'd like to be I'd like people to be listening to Um, because I think it's important because it's important if other people and I spoke about it before if you know problem shared is a problem halved if other people share their stories and it sounds similar to something you're going through it can help you with your and I don't like using the word but it's a handy word to use journey so this is Kira McCullough. She is a mental health and well-being coach. You can find her at the Mindset Coach Ireland. So that's the Mindset Coach Ireland. She's a speaker. She's a podcaster. She's a photographer. Uh, she does um, wedding photography as well. At Tilted Tripod Weddings, you'll hear her talking about it as well. That's a website. Uh, Tilted Tripod Weddings and an Instagram account. Yeah, I was just very interested in her story and I would like to encourage other people to come on the podcast and share their stories so we get real conversations with real people about real things and that's what we continue to do and I will I'm just curious about other people and their lives and you know uh, when people get to a point where I mean we've all gotten to crossroads several crossroads and go several ways and I'm just interested, interested to hear about other people's experiences and I'm going to start using the word voyages instead of journeys it's much better not really anyway um, this is the end of my intro I will be back after this with a little brief chat it is the Keith Watch podcast and I hope I'm right but I think it's episode 11 who knows who cares I think it's episode 11 and thanks very much to Kier for sharing her story Uh, you don't know her unless you know her if you know what I mean and you, I think you'll enjoy listening to her though. Uh, take it away, Kira McCullough. Two, three, four. There you are. Happy now. I was, just, I was trying out. I was trying out a, a new mic, and I just wanted to see if I could use my Zoom as a as a USB mic interface, which I can't. So. That's fine. Uh, here we go again, Kira. Yeah, how are you? Um, I hope it's going to be as good as yesterday for on my part. <laughs> it will be. You know, just we just we just got to we just got to get straight into it. What I'm thinking about. Um, apologies, apologies. I don't worry. I pressed record at the very start, and then at some stage, I pressed record again. I think it was when we closed the we closed our video screens down. I yeah. pressed record again, which un which, which unpressed record. <laughs> And I was like, and I have to, if, if I'm, I'm recording now, yeah. if I'm totally honest with you, if this had happened to me before, if I had, and this is the first time it's happened doing, recording these podcasts, but I knew it would happen at some stage. If that had happened to me before in life and in the way I deal with things, I would have said nothing, right? And in about a week's time, I would, I would have had it hanging over me for about a week, maybe two weeks. And then at some point I would have said, I'm going to have to tell Kira that I didn't record it. And it would have just become this 
massive it would have just become this terrible thing in my life that yeah. I've never dealt with and I would have put it on the long finger and would have procrastinated and made it a hundred times worse yeah and I, maybe it was the spirit of Kira yesterday where I just said you know what I'll just tell her straight away that I didn't it didn't yeah. record and then we'll do it tomorrow it's no big deal and I no felt <laughs> I was grand uh, okay so it is recording I'm just double checking it is recording let's just close the screens down and we'll just get straight into it and we'll just do what we did yesterday because it was great um, if I wasn't such a as my father used to say a blinking idiot uh stop video there we go um kira i'm gonna i'm gonna be real i'm gonna be honest here so anybody listening this is our second time doing this because i absolutely fucked up um i thought i pressed record and i did press record but i pressed record twice on our zoom call and when you press record twice that cancels out the first record so we're doing this again so kira thank you very much for for joining me once again for the podcast and Absolutely, my pleasure. <laughs> we get, we get to talk. Well, the thing, the funny thing about it is that I had never met you before. I didn't know about you before, and you emailed me and sort of pitched something to me. And now we're talking again for the second time in twenty-four yeah. hours, which is it's, that's we're friends now for fuck's sake. <laughs> we, are, we are friends. That's the universe, Kira. Yeah. Um, Kira, yeah, I, I, I don't know you, do I? I we, we, we haven't met. Just, no, we haven't. Yes, no. Yes, yes, um, yes. You were very kind when you were on the radio. You were very kind. You did a few shout-outs for me uh, when I was doing the run. So um, thank you for that. I remember ah, that, yeah. Ah, okay, yeah. very good, yes. And we'll get on to the run uh, in just a little while because that's quite impressive as well. And I have to say, since yesterday, I've been thinking about what you said about your run and your, your, your challenge that you set yourself. But anyway... We go, I have to try and do this as if I, as if I don't know, as if I don't, as if we haven't done this already. Tell me a little bit about yourself, Carolyn. So where did you grow up and tell me a little bit about growing up and, and your life? Yeah. So I grew up in a really teeny tiny village um, called Ballinahinch, which is in Tipperary. Uh, made famous a couple of years ago, well, a good few years ago now, uh, by Pat Short's series on TV called Killing a Scully. Um, so that's my little claim to fame. I was in it when I was uh, in, in primary school. Um, were so, you in, sorry, you were in Killing a Scully, were you? Yeah, I was, twice. <laughs> what, did, what, what character did you play? Um, I was... Um, I was an angel in the nativity scene and I also was just like, just played myself as a school kid in school in the background of, of, of what they were filming that day. So, yeah. Um, that's cool. We should, because I know uh, during the lockdown, RT re-ran Killing the yeah, Scully, didn't they? <laughs> <laughs> uh, you, you, enjoyed, you enjoyed looking out for yourself, did you? Um, actually, I didn't know, not at all. And uh, yeah, I got a lot of messages to say, we, we found you, we spotted you. Um, how times have changed. I'm not the angel anymore. Oh, um, no, I want to But like, I suppose growing up, oh, Jesus, I grew up in the countryside and couldn't have had a more like idyllic. Um, um, I just, I suppose, growing up in the country was amazing. Um, it was myself, my mom, and my sister, and we lived across the gap from my aunt and my cousins, and we just, we were all always roaming the fields. We were always gallivanting uh we were always on a little adventure and um and yeah i played a lot of sports played a lot of uh camogie played a lot of soccer um and was always kind of on the go i guess um and that kind of summed up my my my, my childhood i think 
just always on the go and doing something. And playing sport, what, so you played Camogie, uh, did you win any county county medals or what were your... Uh, I think, yeah, I have won county medal. Um, I played for Newport Bell Hinch up until I was about 18, 19. Um, I used to do a bit of taekwondo. I, I did everything really, anything that involved me getting out of the house and, and moving and talking to people. I was, I was, I was probably more invested in Camogie, so... Um, but yeah, then I, I ended up playing um, rugby then for, for a season or two uh, with uh, Nina Ormond. And um, yeah, it was, uh, I, got, I realized that I was, um, I was getting old and my knees were starting to hurt and, you know, playing rugby in the winter wasn't very fun. So I took up running instead. <laughs> okay. Uh, getting old. I mean, what age are you even, Kira? You can't be. I'll be 30 in March. You're, you're, you're very young. You're still very <laughs> extremely young I think I started I'll tell you about my hurling career I played under 12s under 14s and we won we won the county final both those years uh, in Westmeath hurling and then I didn't play again until what age are you now you're 30 I think I started back in my mid 30s maybe with with the team here in Newbridge Sarsfields and uh, we won a junior county medal. So I won county medals, but there was about 20 years in between them. It's brilliant. <laughs> so that's quite the career. Um, and um, so, so, what, so, what would be your, so, so what would be your big sporting success when you look back in your childhood? Or was there, was there, was there a moment where you were? Um, or, or, like, I, think, I think, I can't remember how many years ago it was now, but uh, we, we did win a county final. And... It was probably something that we had strived for for a very long time, and we, uh, yeah, I think that's probably one of our my biggest sporting successes was um, was winning the, the county final, and uh, yeah, I just I went out in a win then, and uh, haven't really played hockey since. <laughs> but uh, anyway, Grant, you get back to it, yes, you get back to the camogie. Yeah. Yeah, you never know, yeah, you never know. Are you still living in the same area, Karen? No, I'm living in, um, I'm about 10 minutes away from, from home, away from Emmy. So I'm living in Killaloo um, in County Clare. And have to say, I, we actually, we love it here. We love it so much. Um, people are amazing. And uh, I don't think I'll ever leave here. Uh, how did you end up in Killaloo? Um, how did I end up in Killaloo? So when we, myself and my wife got married, we moved in to uh, a house in Ballina, which is just across the bridge. Uh, when we first moved out together and kind of moved away for a couple of years and about three years ago we moved back um, just a stroke of luck a house came up when we were looking and um, we, we've been here since and we hope to buy a house here um, eventually whenever that may happen um, so yeah it's just an amazing community absolutely love it and the people here are incredible I don't know Kildu that well but I, I presume are you are you by the sea? We're we're by the lake, so Lockberg. the lake, the lake. That's yeah. it. Yes, yeah. I know. I do yeah. know Killaloo. All right. Yes, honest. I know my geography. In case, yes. my, in case my old jo geography teacher is listening, I knew that. <laughs> Pretty lucky during lockdown. Like we're a two minute walk from the lake, so we uh, we've no complaints. Brilliant. So tell me about your your dad. Yeah, um, my dad was an amazing human, um, and. Unfortunately, he, he lost his battle with, um, with his mind, um, I guess. And um, about 28 years ago, coming up in 28 years ago, in, in, in a week or two, um, he, he lost his life to, to suicide. And um, it was, yeah, that's uh, like, 
when I think about my dad, um, I just, I have such a strong affinity with him and I just, um, I really wish Keith, um, that kind of I had met him. Um, and I think, I suppose, you know, losing a dad at a very young age, um, is quite difficult. Um, and I guess, you know, grief probably wasn't really spoken about and suicide and mental health in particular definitely was so much uh, a taboo subject and it took a very long time for that um that conversation to happen in our family and um you know growing up as a kid I always had questions and I always had just this burning desire to know more but yet was so so afraid to ask any questions because I just felt that I knew there was something there, like I inherently and instinctually knew that there was something there that I couldn't, I couldn't ask. And um, so I didn't. And it wasn't until like a, a good few years later that I found out the reason. And, um, you know, I suppose a loss at any, at any magnitude will, will really, I suppose, um, impact the family. But a loss with association to suicide and mental illness uh, really is a, a, such a difficult one um, and like I suppose like looking back on my childhood I as much as I missed my dad and wished I had a dad and, and there was many moments where I wished I had a dad and wished I knew him um, you know I, I also look back on how incredibly strong and resilient and amazing my mother was and still is and you know while I, I she made up for both and I never wanted for anything, never needed for anything. Um, there was so much love in the house and, you know, I got to watch this incredible woman just, you know, show me all the right things about life and, and what to do and, and how to kind of, I suppose, keep moving forward. And that's something that has always stuck with me and will forever stick with me is that resilience and that capacity to, no matter how hard it is, you just keep going. And I think, you know, I always used to remember being in school and I used to, like in English, I used to always write, they'd say write about your hero. I used to always write about my mom. Um, and I still would always, if you asked me now to write about my hero, it would still be the same. Um, she's an incredible um, woman. So yeah, um, that kind of sums up um, that little bit of a story. <laughs> so do you think, because you were only one when your father died, do you think there was a sense that you... Because sometimes in Ireland it can be a bit like if you're young, if you're very young, you probably don't remember and it probably doesn't have anything to do with you really. You know, you, was there ever a sense of that or was he spoken? Were you told about him a lot or did you, um, did you feel like you were, did you feel like you're outside a story, if you know what I mean? Oh, totally outside a story and, and then totally connecting with someone that I actually knew nothing about. Like I, like I still have such an affinity with him. And um, yeah, I, I really felt like I was outside the story, but um, I guess, you know, growing up, I, again, like I always said, there was a question there that I knew I needed to ask, but never had the courage to do so. And, you know, my granny, um, she, she was an amazing person, but she always used to turn around and tell me, she goes, don't ask any questions now, you'll upset your mother. And it became so ingrained in me that I just kept my mouth shut. Um, and like that conversation is such a special conversation to have. And, you know, to hear stories, I, I've now started to kind of, I suppose, ask my aunts and uncles different stories, get some photographs and, and have that conversation. And, um, you know, I need to try and get to know that side of me, that part of me, you know, there's, there's a void in my life and I, I think there always will be a void in my life. Um, 
you know, I don't have a dad. I, I, I married um, an amazing woman two years ago. And, you know, I remember like coming up to the wedding. I was like, well, I'm going to be at the top of the aisle because like that's that's it's too awkward. Like I can't I can't like no. So, you know, in those moments, there's there's moments that happen. You're kind of like, oh, I really wish, you know, he could be here for this or I really wish. And I think a lot of my grief, it, 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 it's a weird grief because um, you're grieving someone who has such a significant role in, in your life and who means so, so much to you. Yet I don't have a person to grieve as per se because I don't have any memories. I, I don't have my own um, memories, my own stories that I can tell. I have nothing, only pictures. And that I find most difficult. That's, that for me is the hardest part. So what age would you have been then when you found out or how would you have found out how your father died and what would you have thought up until that point? Um, what did I think about up until that point? I'm not sure. Um, I tried not to think about it, to be quite honest with you. Um, how did I find out? Uh, I found out through... Uh, <laughs> found out in a really weird situation um through somebody else actually and um i remember going home in such a rage like an incredible rage because you see when i think about that story and i think about my dad and it's only after doing my own inner work over the last couple of years i realized that i attached significant meaning to to that story to that part of my life um when my dad died and the story that i attached to that and the meaning i attached to that was that i wasn't good enough that was something that was incredibly like cemented into my mind for as long as i can remember like all during primary school all during secondary school like all during college i that that was the predominant taunt that happened in my head and it's only now that i've realized that actually it stems back to to, to that meaning that I attached to that story. Um, consciously, unconsciously, I'm not sure. But when I found out that um, my dad had taken his own life, it was kind of like, I, I'll never forget that moment because it was kind of like, it, it just kind of reaffirmed everything that I thought about myself selfishly, you know, to have that thought going, okay, yeah, that's how he died. Uh, fuck, okay, I am not good enough, you know. Like, looking wow. back now, that thought, like, I was one, you know, it had nothing to do with me. And I know in my own, you know, going through my own, I suppose, struggles with mental health, I know that it had absolutely nothing to do with anybody except the pain that he was going through. And, you know, in that moment when I found out, I immediately was like, that's, that's, it, everything is right. I'm not good enough. I'll never be good enough. I'm worthless. Sure, my own dad couldn't. I wasn't good enough for him. You know, how can you be good enough for someone like when you're still in nappies? You know, I, I, it was just such a, such a strong feeling to have, and that that set the pre- precedent for for the rest of my life. Really, it it became that I'm not good enough, and I'll never be good enough, and I'll always be worthless. And it, it and this whole situation and that answer just reaffirmed everything. If that makes sense, mm. and. Um, I've forgotten the question you've asked me now. Well, I, well I was just—I was just curious to find out. What, I was just curious to find out what age you were and how you found out how yeah, your how so, your dad died. Yeah, yeah, I was nineteen and uh, well, eighteen, nineteen, and you know, it's—I suppose looking back, like I remember going home in such a rage to my mom, and like I can't believe you hid this from me. I can't believe I—I can't, I cannot believe this, but actually, like in hindsight, you know. 
like my dad died in 1990, a couple of years previous to that, it was a cr criminal offence to have any sort of mental illness. So the stigma and the taboo associated with mental health was like incredibly, um, I, I suppose, much bigger than it is now. And, you know, I look back on, okay, if I had kids and if, if this had happened to me, how, what would I do? And I sure as hell would protect my kids too. And I know for a fact that my mother protected, protected all of us as much as she could. And if that was, I can't tell my kids this, then that's what it was. And, you know, was it the right choice? Maybe not. But actually at the time it was a, like a choice of protection. And, and, and that to me, I have no, um, I have no, I suppose, I have no anger, I have no frustration, I have nothing to that side of the story. Like that's, that to me was a form of protection, a form of love. And, you know, I've always watched my mother just put us first and, and, and be there for us and, you know, put herself last. And I know for a fact that if she thought that telling us at the time would have been a really good thing to do, then that's what she would have done. But if you look at funerals back then, you know, everybody was like, don't bring the kids to a funeral. Don't let them see this. Whereas now, I, I think with all the research we've done with grief and, and, and everything that we've been through, and it's starting to come out now that actually the best thing we can do for kids is to involve them, is to show them, and is to, to let them experience it because kids are resilient. But I suppose we always try to protect them, if that makes sense. Yeah, it, 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 it always comes from a good place and it's always based mm. on, you know, the advice of people who know better than us. And, and, and you know, yeah. around, you know, obviously suicide and what was called, what was called suicide. Uh, and it isn't now so much. It's, it's, uh, but that would have been uh, um, a mortal sin in the mm. church as well. And they, that, I mean, people, 1990s, the church were still, and still are, but they were very strong, uh, had a very strong role to play in the community yeah. and uh, had a lot of authority. So, so, do, so from the age of one, did you feel like you weren't good enough because, was it because you didn't deserve a dad? Was that, are, are you, have you thought that far? Have you connected the two things or was it just, you just didn't feel good enough. You're not, and and, and your your dad wasn't around. You're not quite sure if they connect or how they connect. Um, you know, now that you mention it, there's definitely a connection. Um, I probably haven't thought back to like, you know, when I was one or or anything no, like that. No, of course, yeah. I know, I know, definitely. For as long as I can go back, that that thought was it was the predominant thought in my head. I'm not good enough. Like in primary school. I'm not tall enough. Like I was, I was, I was teeny tiny. Um, I was often compared to like the second classes when I was in sixth class. So like I was, I was abnormally small and still am. Um, but like, I suppose, you know, back then it was, Oh, I'm not tall enough. And I'm, you know, I'm not fast enough to, to score that goal in soccer. It was just always, I was constantly putting myself down and, that just, to me, was normal. I, I figured everybody went through that. Mm. But it wasn't until I, I suppose I got older and started to really start to, to impact me, I started to just feel a lot more sad as the, the older I got. But actually, I hid it quite well because I just, I didn't, I don't know, did I not want to be a burden? Did I not know what was going on myself? Did I not want to talk? I'm not sure what it was, but I just kept it to myself. And... I think it was when I was in fifth and sixth class or fifth and sixth year, I just, it was my most miserable. And that year kind of when I started college, I think that those three years, I really felt that actually I, I'm in trouble here. This is, 
this is something that actually, you know what, it's not right. And um, I suppose I kind of think then, um, I knew that those thoughts that I was having, like, I, don't, I think nobody else, I, I realized then that not everybody had those thoughts. And uh, I still kept it to myself though. Um, and I think it manifested in, into like, I was in a, a long-term relationship quite young and, you know, I was deeply insecure. I was, I had no self-worth. I had no uh, self-confidence. I had no, my self-esteem was sh- shot. Um, I shouldn't have been in a relationship. And I think it starts to manifest there um, in, in all that. And I think equally, um, you know, the relationship that I was in, it was equally the same for that person as well. You know, we were two insecure people that definitely shouldn't have been together. It was quite toxic. Uh, both of us shouldn't have been together, but very, I take full responsibility on my part as well. But it, it, the signs really started to show there. Um, I think at the age of 19, I just went, you know, I'm never going to escape this. I'm, I'm always going to have these thoughts. This is always going to, sorry to curse, but it's always going to fuck my life up. Um, I can't even get this relationship right. I can't even, you know, I suppose nothing is right. And it really started to affect me um, really, really deeply. And I realized that that thought actually became my whole entire being. And I just, I wanted to escape it. I wanted to escape that pain. I just felt so worthless and I, I didn't know how to get out of it. So I had the first attempt to take my own life at the age of 19. And two weeks later, I had my second. And I think when I, when I, when I spoke to therapists like back then, um, you know, I, I remember just they would talk to me about the relationship or the breakdown in the relationship or what was going on. But they, they, never, really, they never really asked any other questions than that. They just saw a, a teenage young adult, um, you know, who had probably just done this for attention. And um, they kind of went, oh, it's a relationship breakdown. Well, there you go. That's the problem. And, and job done. And she'll be fine. She'll get over it. Um, but I didn't. And at the age of 22, I had I had a third attempt to take my own life. And, you know, I suppose the difference between when I was 19 and when I was 22, when I was 19, I actually didn't want to die. I didn't want my life to end. I wanted my pain and I knew it to end. But at 22, I, I kind of had come to a realization that this is, this is, this is me. Like this is, it defined everything. It defined exactly who I was. I just was like, I, I can't, I don't like myself. I, I hate myself, actually. I'll use words as strong as that. I hated every part of who I was. Um, I felt like I was nothing but a burden. And I just didn't think that talking would actually help or make anything better. And uh, I remember waking up in hospital and uh, after trying to take my own life um, when I was 22 and I just remember waking up and I, I, I just looked down to my left and my mom was there and she was just crying. Like she was just sobbing her heart out and it broke my heart. Like I thought I was at rock bottom. I thought I was in pain until I saw the tears coming down her eyes as she was sitting beside me. And I realized that, you know what, Kira, you're actually responsible for that. And that's, that might sound very harsh, but that was the exact thought that I had at that moment. And I said, you've got to fucking change here. This something has to give because, you know, whatever pain that she's gone through, you're just causing her that over and over again. So you either, you know, keep going the way you're going. And like, I wasn't a cat with nine lives. I was eventually going to die if I kept trying to do it. Um, and 
I realized the only other option I had then was to was to talk and to be vulnerable and I think in that moment I realized that okay I have a choice and actually that that was very motivating um because I never for as long as I can remember felt like I had a choice and how I on, on anything in life I didn't feel like I had a choice and in that moment I realized okay I have a choice and I was I would I just became so deliberate and so intentional about what I was going to do going forward and I was going to get help and I think the catalyst for actually going to get help was that I think at that moment in time not only did I want to do it for my family especially my mom I wanted to do it for myself as well um and I think that was really important and I <laughs> never I'm, I'm rambling here now I'm sorry <laughs> no no this is great no. um, I, I like just kind of like remember um going to see the psychiatrist and that was a big thing for me and I was like psychiatrist is like is this what I've become to a 22 like you know a psychiatrist and it's like all the things you see in the movies and it's just it wasn't pleasant but I said I, I've committed to this I'm gonna do it so I went in and I said look this is how I feel yes there is that relationship breakdown yes there is this but actually it's it's a lot more than that and I just just said how I was feeling and she referred me on to um a therapist and uh, I remember my mom said she goes I'm gonna come with you I'm gonna come with you I said okay fine um and I remember knocking on the door to the <laughs> to the therapist and she answered and like she just went oh hi Bernie she just saluted my mom and I was like oh you've got to be fucking kidding me here <laughs> typical, so typical like, Ireland oh man like I just was like okay um you're really testing me now universe like this like Jesus this is the one time I could pull out like um but she she sat me down, she brought me in, um, a therapist, she brought me in, she sat me down, she said, look, I understand exactly how you must be feeling right now. Um, I understand that, you know, that actually could make you feel like you can't trust me, but you can, and I've got your back. And, and it, it, was, it was an incredible experience. I think within six to eight sessions, I had just a better grip and a better understanding of my mind, my thoughts, the power of my thoughts. And it, it was from then on that I started that my, my journey of, 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 of self-improvement and, and self-empowerment and it, it hasn't stopped and it won't stop, but I'm in such a better place now. Phew. Wow. And, <laughs> wow. <laughs> That's uh, but it, it really, I mean, lots of what you just told me uh, really hit a nerve, but I think just, a little thing you said there about the therapist just saying to you, I've got your back and that kind of, because a lot of people have issues finding the right therapist, trusting somebody, knowing they can talk to them. I mean, you'd already been vulnerable anyway with the, with, with your initial, uh, your initial, was it a psycho, a psychotherapist or the, with the first person? Yeah. 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 And then, and then, so you were ready for it, but also people can be ready for it. And I think it's important for anybody listening just to know that you can be also ready for it and still find the wrong person. Uh, so you've got to try and, you know, find the right person. You, you, you were very lucky that that woman, uh, you know, even, even being a family friend or whatever. And actually the other thing I should say is, you know, and you, sh you should be proud of yourself because we do tend to uh, look for excuses not to do these things as well. And that could have been a very valid excuse for you to say, well, look, this is, this is a friend of my mother's. I can't do this, you know. And I, and I, a hundred percent. And sorry to interrupt, but like no, I, there was one particular moment that like 
I think after about six sessions, I, I just stopped going. I don't know what it was. Maybe I had found the excuse not to go back or thought that I was cured or whatever it was. Um, and so I, I missed two sessions and um, I was living at home at the time. I was back home with my mom and she wrote to me. She, she wrote a letter um, delivered to me at home and she said, uh, I hope you're doing well. Um, uh, I'm just letting you know that your mom is rang to see, you know, what your progress is. If you're actually attending, to make sure you're attending. I told her everything was perfect. Not perfect, but I told her, like, you know, your, your attendance was great. And um, she said, I didn't tell her that you didn't show up. She said, that's between me and you. And whenever you're ready to come back, I'll be here. And, like, you know, reading that letter, I kind of went, huh, fuck it, okay, I can trust her. And I think... It's it's that particular um, it's that whole sequence of events for her. She's like, I've got your back, and then to know that actually maybe there was a bit of of doubt in me whether I could trust her or not. Maybe we were just starting to get a little bit deep, and I kind of was went like, oh, if I go a little bit deeper here, she might tell my mother because they know each other, um, but she didn't. And I think that was really important for me, and and trust was really important for me, and she she really did. She built that, and and, and that was I suppose. Um, very transformative for me. Um, yeah, there's one thing that sort of struck me as well is that uh, you know you were you're talking about being 19, and it was around the age of 19 that you found out somebody mm-hmm. told you about your dad and how your dad had died. And sometimes, well, just speaking personally, uh, I was kind of there was for a long period living uh, in this sort of plane of existence and you know started keeping everything keeping the lid and everything keeping everything going everything was grand i used to use the word grand a lot everything was grand i didn't really know how anything was but then there was a there was a trigger which was the breakfast show finishing up which made me go hang on a sec now you know this i needed to deal with all this shit now do you think that do you think that that feeling of not being enough uh and then it being confirmed at the age of 19 like do, like you might have you might have gotten through life as you were you know at that le- you know whatever just getting through just getting by not feeling like you're enough uh but but almost that finding out the truth then was almost a trigger for what led on to be some terrible experiences and suicide attempts but ultimately a real look at uh, I don't know what I'm trying yeah, to say, no, here, but but like, but but, but almost like the, the but that was the that was the trigger. It was the confirmation, and it led you into some terrible times. But ultimately, you got the right person, and you know you you found the right therapist, and you got to really really deal with it. Do you know what I mean? Whereas sometimes right. in life, people can just there's no big trigger. There's no nothing. Nothing you can manage. I can manage within this as long as nobody says anything. You know that that, that yeah, not, yeah. as long as I don't as long as I don't hit any speed bumps, I can stay at this speed and it's grand. You know what I mean? Do you know what I'm trying to say? Yeah, and I, I think wholeheartedly, I, I I understand what you're saying, and I think um, I suppose there, there's two things that happened. I think when when I found out that I and you know I had that attempt, I had the last attempt I had to take my life. I kind of realized that you know. I have to do it for myself. Like a lot of the times we'll, we'll do it, to, to, we'll try and get help to please other people, whether it's our, our moms, our dads, our partners, whoever. We'll do it for other people, but actually we only have 
half go into it because we actually don't feel like it'll work. And I think I jumped in wholeheartedly um, with the faith that it would work, but also ready and been willing and been open to being vulnerable. And I think that was that was where things started to shift in, in a massive way. And I, I think I always, whenever I share my story, that's, that's what I always try to share because people have to be ready. Um, and I know when we spoke yesterday, like we spoke about how those times when I saw the, the therapist, like between the ages of 19 and 21, um, you know, I felt like I wasn't ready. Um, I just, I actually realized that if I just say it's the relationship that then they won't ask me any questions and they'll think everything is fine. And I think I wasn't ready to explore it then, but actually I didn't even really know what to explore. So I think it took a, a few years for me to even find a little bit more about myself. Um, I still didn't like myself, <laughs> but I still had to go through a few more kind of, I suppose, hurdles and that last attempt, but that, that definitely was the start of, I'm glad it was the start of the journey of, of, of getting better and healing. And, you know, it's, it's, it's been, it's been an incredible few years, uh, a hard few years, but an incredible few years. Yeah. Cause it is fascinating. And, uh, I don't, I hope you don't think it's, you know, I'm being, it's dark, but it's fascinating that it can be, you got to a point where it was, you know, you almost ended your life, but, mm. but you didn't. And it's led on to, a very very bright future and a better life and almost like you know if you want to be sort of like mythologize it almost like it was just a rebirth almost i don't want to get too wanky about it but it is <laughs> no, kind of, it, it is kind of fascinating and there is there's this, a saying that i use a lot in in my house you know when people are are trying to get somewhere and it's not happening and and you you know just when you think you you've reached rock bottom there's there's something you know there's 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 another yeah. there's another layer down there there's another yeah. level and i always like i just like to say look at the darkest the darkest hours just before dawn because i think it's it helps you realize that you know dawn is coming and and like you really it it's just is it's amazing i mean it's incredible it's amazing it's wonderful that you you got through that and and you're here to tell the tale and and everything that happened to you since and i think like i suppose i've started to to realize that i i've actually started to turn my pain into into my purpose because you know i'm i'm really like immensely passionate about you know talking about you know mental health talking about um, or I suppose empowering people to, to to open up and ask for help, and empowering people to um, not just ask for help, but actually, if you see someone struggling, to ask them if they'd like some help, um, and ask them if they're okay, and have that conversation. You know, I think as long as I'm on this earth, that's the conversation that I will continue to have, and because it's something that I think, you know, it, it's so important. And you know, I think I've really just become obsessed with mindset, and it's just something that. It, the mind fascinates me because I think, you know, I, there's an amazing quote um, um, that I love and it's, it's the, we don't see the world as it is. We see the world as we are. And, you know, if you were to look back at my life, I was depressed. I was, you know, anxious. I was, I hated myself. I hated life. Therefore, everything else in life started to show up that way. So my, my inner world created my outer world. And, you know, when you come down and you realize and you look at the mind, you know, our minds have a thing called a confirmation bias. And by that, it means that 
you know, our thoughts are very powerful. So if, if, if we feel depressed or if we think we're, you know, um, we're not good enough and if we think we're not this and we think we're not that, so take that not good enough thought. Our minds will actively work, like our minds work to actively find evidence to support that. So if I keep thinking I'm not good enough, the world will start to show up reasons for me not being good enough. And what's, what's amazing about that is, while that's really shit, <laughs> what's equally amazing about that is, if I actually flip the script on, on that not good enough and say, well, okay, I am good enough, I am enough, then actually our brains will start to actually go, oh, that's a new one, let's go search for that. And you will find evidence to, sh to show that you are actually good enough. And that, that goes across the board on anything, any thought that you have. If you can flip the script and actually find evidence, you'll actually help your brain to keep finding evidence to support something that actually positively, positively supports you. And I think learning that, you know, my, my outer world now actually looks a whole lot better because my inner world is so calm and at peace. What would you say to you, what would you now, uh, and we'll talk about your, your recent qualifications, what would you say now to yourself, say, for instance, at the age, if you got to sit down with your, I'm going to say, 10-year-old, 11-year-old self, and 10-year-old, 11-year-old Kira was able to tell you, older Kira, <laughs> exactly how they were feeling. Because, I mean, children, children can't and they don't. But just say, for this, for this scenario, you were able to, say to older Kira exactly how you're feeling. What would you say to young Kira or what steps would you take? I, and I'm asking this because I think this might be helpful. It'd certainly be helpful to me and I'm curious because I've got a, a 12 year old in the house and I'd love to be able to sit down with him and, and advise him on how he could deal with his emotions and stuff like that. So how, what do you think you'd be able to say to, to young Kira to, to, to help her through or help her better understand what, how she was feeling? Um. You know what, I've, I've actually thought about this and, and uh, I've actually done a lot of work with, I suppose, the inner child, if that makes sense, and not yeah. to go too deep into it. But, yeah, no, it's good. Um, I think it would be, um, and maybe maybe this is for an older Kira, but I think it's still applied to a younger Kira, um, that you are enough and and that, um, I suppose, to show up for yourself. Um, because all of my life, I put everybody else first. And... You know, when we say yes to other people, actually, inevitably we say no to ourselves. So I I really started to, um, I'd really love younger Kira um, to know, to just back yourself and to, you know, if you're feeling unhappy, say it. If you're feeling confused, say it. If you have questions that you want to answer for you, say it. It doesn't matter who you're going to hurt in a sense that, like, you know, I was told not to ask questions in case I upset mommy. Actually, my mother probably would have been delighted if I just said, here, what's the story? <laughs> I have yeah. questions I'd like to talk, you know. Um, it would have been a lot better um, if I just was like, I'm going to do this for me. Um, so I think, you know, from the work that I've done over the last few years, it's just I need to become my own best friend. Um, and I think no matter if it's four-year-old Kira, five, six, up to whatever, up till even six months ago, is to show up for yourself and be your own best friend. Um, a lot of my my self-worth was tied up in in making other people happy or it was in my relationships or in even materialistic things. Um, if I have this, I'll be happy. If I you know, can do this for this person, I'll be happy. It'll make me happy. But actually, yeah, it makes me happy, but just for 10 minutes. So it's to find the happiness and the the peace for yourself within. And then you can, like, give other people 
you know, the same that you feel on the inside as well. So my biggest advice to myself and to anybody would be to just, I suppose, work on being your own best friend and being there for yourself. Yeah, because we can only help others then when we're when we're when we're finished helping ourselves. But and 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 unfortunately, people say you know there's there's this word selfish that goes around, which just just ignore that. Just look after yourself. Yeah. yeah. But do you think then? And I don't want to keep going back, but you in that that relationship you were in at the age of nineteen, it seems mm. like you were looking for. It's almost like, well, this person will tell me that I'm enough, and what you don't realize at the time is. You know that other person isn't doesn't have the ability to tell you doesn't you know it doesn't know that they're enough themselves and and because yeah. because we've all been in those relationships where you're looking for the other person to validate you and tell you that you're enough and and they're struggling to even realize what, you know to know if they're enough or not and they're you know, yeah. both people are looking for validation you know and, and that that happens a lot you know um, and that was exactly it like I just you know it was so toxic because it, it was both of us trying to feel trying to you know, make sure that we felt enough. But actually, instead of making ourselves feel enough, we were trying to get it from the other person. And, you know, it went through this cycle of we break up, we get back together, we break up, we get back together. And every time we got back together, I was like, oh, okay, I am enough. And every time we break up, I'm like, oh, fuck it, the world's ending. Shit, I'm not enough. And it became very toxic very quickly. And I think that's what happens. We were just both looking to be enough and actually we didn't, we couldn't do it because we, we didn't feel it ourselves. Yeah. And it, and it, I mean, it happens so much and people are in relationships like that for their whole lives. And it's just, I I think it's just interesting to hear you you talk about it like that. And I think they will, I think it will help people. Um, You know, you can be in a relationship for, 20 30 years and, and and that can still be the dynamic that can still be the problem they can still be both looking for the other person to to validate and never sort of sort of working you know realizing that well i just need to work on myself here for a while i need to as you say uh, turn up for myself uh oh, 100 like i mean when i was in like you know previous relationships if i tried to work on myself it meant not being there for the other person to a yeah, certain yeah. And you you were met with like fire and fury um, because that then triggered their insecurities. Whereas I remember when I went with Paula, like I straight away, we, we met on the night out and, you know, I the following day woke up and was like, oh, I'm Kira and I've had this and this is my story and blah, blah, blah. And she was like, oh yeah, okay, that's fine. <laughs> and she's allowed me to, 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 to work on myself while also supporting me. But she's, she's so strong that I could say, I'm going away for a week there to work on myself. And she'd be like, okay, I'm here when you're ready. And, and that is is very special, and I, I'm very very lucky to have that. Um, but it's just she doesn't see it as a. Uh, she she knows that it's not because I don't love her. She knows it's because I actually want to work on myself and be better for her. If that makes sense. There's another thing that I kind of anybody that if I'm talking to people about, sometimes I talk about you know you've kind of spoken about working on yourself and and sort of uh, you almost train your mind to be more positive. Uh, and it's just worth saying that sometimes people will talk to me and I can sense their frustration with trying trying mindfulness or trying meditation or trying to work on their mind or trying to be more positive. And it's it, it can be very frustrating for people. And you kind of have to say to people, you might have to go and find a therapist and you might need to go and speak to a therapist six times or whatever for a few months or whatever before you get to that point where you can do that work for yourself so it just bears it bears saying because I, I sometimes worry that that people feel like 
oh, I can't even, I can't even practice mindfulness. I'm, I'm, I really am no good. I can't even meditate. I, I used to be one know? of those people. Like, yeah, 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 yeah. I used to sit down and try and meditate and be like, oh, what the fuck? This is like, this is the one time all of my thoughts are going to come at me because I'm not distracting myself to do anything. <laughs> but I think I realized that um, I started running last October um, for, for my head. Sorry, October of 20. 19 um 2018 from my head and well, we've, um, kind of, we've kind of skipped a year so we'll yeah sorry <laughs> <laughs> um so i just i started running just because because i was feeling quite crap and i was feeling quite low again and um i just said i just get out and, and and run and what i realized is that actually running became my my, my meditation you know meditation is anything that brings you into the present moment so you know, for some people, it's it's mindfulness. For some people, it's meditation. For some people, it's running. For some people, it's 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 to find your thing. Mm. So I think we get caught up in, okay, I have to meditate and I have to do this because everybody says it's good for you. Find the thing that actually makes you stop thinking about everything and just brings you into the present moment. So whatever that may be, even for ten minutes, that's 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 perfect. And not to put pressure on yourself to be anything more. Yeah, we wonder, maybe our mothers had it when they were doing the bacon or knitting a jumper or whatever. Yeah. <laughs> they, were, they, were, they were onto something there. Um, so, where, so where are you at now, Kira? Um, I've just qualified to become, um, I've just uh, become a mental health and well-being coach. So I, um, so I, I trained for the last few years. I've been a, a photographer. I've, I've been shooting weddings for the last four or five years and um, always wanted to do something that kind of helped people on a deeper level and with weddings because they always happen weekends I wasn't able to do I couldn't either do a full-time course in what I wanted to do nor could I do a weekend part-time course and you know one of the blessings of Covid um, which, which there isn't many but I'm, I'm grateful for it in some extent is that it granted me the time to to go back to college and to, to upscale and to, to get a, a qualification on something that I was really passionate about. So I just, I'm starting to kick off a new endeavor of, of, of helping people with their mindset. And I think empowering them to discover um, the power of the mind and to, to overcome any limiting thoughts, limiting beliefs, anything like that, and just rewire their mindset to, to better support them. Um, so again, just using my pain for my purpose and, you know, to give that purpose back to others because that's something that's really um, important to me. Wow, it's amazing. I mean, it's 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 almost it's it's full circle stuff here. And tell me about your your amazing running feat because I I I kind of skipped over it. You 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 did start running, and very shortly after you started running, you decided to to do something a bit mad. Yeah, so I started running in October twenty eighteen, and got up to a ten k by. I think it was like April or May and I ran the Great Limerick Run here in um, Limerick with a friend, friend of mine. After the run we were chuffed with our medals and we sat outside Mickey Martins in Limerick and we were sitting down with our pint happy as Larry and I just made the comment I just said you know I, I just don't understand why people would put themselves through a marathon. Just, I'd never understand it and uh, we had a giggle we had a laugh with another pint and about three weeks later I was going out for a run and I was like I got this sudden urge. I had been actually feeling like I wanted to push myself a little bit more and, you know, take a little bit of a dig deep dive into um into discover mindset um on a deeper level and I wanted to take it to another level. So I was out for a run and um 
running up the same road as I always did. And this this notion came into my head, this absolute brain fart. And the Wild Atlantic Way came in, so I stopped up in my tracks, looked up the distance and was like, huh, okay. Went about my run, started thinking about it a bit more, came home to Paula and was like, so um, I'm going to run the Wild Atlantic Way. And she went, what? <laughs> so I was like, yeah, I'm going to do it. And I'm going to do it for charity. And um, I'm going to do it next January in February. And this is me, so I had, what, six months, seven months. Um, so I did, and I, I started training straight away. I um, I just jumped on it, and it was, um, I started off, it started off as a journey to, um, I wanted to see if actually the visualization mindset and all that kind of stuff was, was real, because, you know, this was the work that I wanted to do, um, and I wanted to put myself to the test to see if actually, can your mind, you know, take you, further than your body will allow it can you actually do something beyond anything that you've ever thought that you could do before um is it possible and it is because um i i i ran a thousand kilometers i started on the towards the end of january i, I started in Derry and ran um a thousand kilometers um all the way down to kinsale along the wild atlantic way and it was on average between 20 to 40k a day every day was kind of different in, in lengths and stuff so yeah, it was it was incredible, and you know, looking back, it's it's probably one of the the most transformative things that I've done for myself. Um, but thankfully, we ended up raising like forty thousand euros for the the Children's Grief Centre here in Limerick. So it's definitely one of my proudest proudest achievements. And I just I'm on that constant pursuit now of 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 I suppose expanding my comfort zone and just seeing where the mind can actually go. And you know, it, it's been a it's been a really incredible journey because you know if you go back like even 10 years to where I was to to now where I can be it just I, I I want to be living proof to show people that you know you can be at this particularly low point where you feel like you're fucking worthless and you feel like shit and you feel like crap to a point where actually you really love yourself and and I don't say that in a vain way but you're really proud of yourself and actually you can push yourself beyond anything you were ever thinking you were capable of doing before and if I can help people realize that along the way then then I'm a very happy person. Right and just to finish up where do you think where do you think you are with your dad now or what's your um at peace I think um you know I suppose my own journey I've, I've got to I've got to realize that I think when, when someone dies um, tragically by taking their own life, you you question yourself and you question you question everything about um, who you are, if you did enough, all that kind of stuff. I'm sure everybody has those types of feelings, but I know um, from my own journey that it, that when you're going through something that immense and that intense, it's it's just your journey and you can't see how it will affect anybody else because all you can see is trying to just stay stay alive and to to try and actually stay above water and just want to keep um just going through a, a day by day and it has nothing to do with anybody else um so i get to see i got to see with my own journey you know what he might have felt to some extent mm. and I now know that actually it's it's nobody's fault. Um, it's it was his journey, and 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 unfortunately it had to end. Um, but fortunately, 
I can now, I suppose, create a change and that that's what I want to do. So I want his legacy to be, to be my legacy. And I want, you know, I feel like I can carry his legacy of, of if we spoke about mental health back then the same way we do now, or if we can get better, I want that to start to become a normal conversation and I want that to be his legacy. So all the work that I do in helping others with their mind and all the work that I do in, and trying to just show people that it's possible to go from, from a dark place to, to somewhere so bright and beautiful. That's his legacy. And, and it's also mine too. And I think, you know, that's the journey we'll go on together, regardless whether we meet or not. Great. Great. Brilliant. Uh, lovely. Um, and I think, and I believe you met Storm Kier during your run on the Wild Atlantic <laughs> Way, <laughs> at some point. Yeah, and Flippin' Storm Brendan and every other storm that you could have had. <laughs> Um, but yeah, so mid storm Kira, like I remember uh been down in Dingle and my, my poor mother, she rang me and she's like, Don't fucking do it. I'm I'm please, please do not do it. I, said, I have to I have to run through this storm. Like this is this this is never gonna come again. Like what are the chances? So I got up and Storm Kira was 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 a, a mighty force to be reckoned with. I had everything from sunshine to snow to hailstones to gale force winds, but a real poignant moment for me is when I came down off the Connor Pass and I'd, I had about 5k to go into the town and um, the sun just just cleared up and I kind of went, do you know what? To me, that was like a symbol of me running through all that all that shit in my, my, my old life. And, and like you said before, like a rebirth. I kind of went, hello to the new Kira, hello to the Kira who shows up for herself and who can, do you know, and who is enough. And I think... I trotted into Dingle that day with just the biggest sense of pride in myself. And, you know, I, I'll always remember that moment. And, uh, and yeah, Storm Kira. <laughs> this is oh, a new Storm Kira. <laughs> yeah, you took over. You blew Storm Kira away. Um, yeah. I, can't ima- I cannot imagine running the Connor Pass in bad weather. <laughs> so, Jesus. It was, it was so bad. Like, it was actually horrific. But it was, uh, yeah. <laughs> it's brilliant it's brilliant there's a book in that care listen uh thank you very much for getting in touch and for reaching out and uh love chatting to you and best yeah, best of luck with everything cheers thanks so much thanks Kieran. well with the help of god and his holy mother that's all recorded <laughs> I'll say a decade of the rosary now. Oh, God. Oh, God. That was brilliant. That was, that brilliant. was great. Yeah, that was great. Thanks so much. Yeah, it was uh, great. It was, uh, slightly, slightly, we get, came out of slightly differently, but I thought it was, you were brilliant again. So fair play yeah, to you. I, I know, I, know um, I, uh, I can imagine, <laughs> I can imagine the relief when you did it the first time. Then, oh, geez, I have to do it all over again. But, um, you know what? It's grand. It's it's my story, so I, I don't mind telling it. So I suppose this is all practice, which is great. So I don't mind if we have to do it again, which we won't. Um, but yeah, yeah. We, we, we won't have to do it again. Um, brilliant, Kira. Listen, enjoy your wedding tomorrow, and thank you so much. Cheers, your Enjoy your weekend. Yeah, you too. Good luck. Bye, Good. bye, bye. Bye. Yeah, shit a wedding. Shit a wedding. Uh, she's a wedding photographer. She wasn't going to a wedding. Um, I think, I presume. There aren't much weddings going on at the moment, and if there are, there aren't many people going to them, so I presume it was a gig. Thanks very much to Kira, and yeah, I forgot to tell you in the intro, maybe I forgot on purpose, that uh, that was our second time recording it, because my uh, 
my fear, hey, my, my I was going to say my ultimate fear, my ultimate fear is realising 10 episodes in or 11 episodes in that I was speaking into the wrong side of the mic. Excuse me. My other ultimate fear is that uh, I haven't pressed record. And what actually happened with Kira, I discovered later, was I was so prepared that I'd press, pressed record well in advance. So when I pressed record on the Zoom, I was basically cancelling record. Yay! But she was great. And, and I did say it to her, but what I would have done before, and this is where I've come in my journey. What I would have done before is I would have been really pissed off. I'd made that mistake. I probably wouldn't have told Kira, as I said, for a long time. And then eventually, and it would have been in, in my mind, on my, in the back of my mind, on my shoulder, in my going, you have to, that you are a terrible person. You did that thing. And sometime you're going to have to tell Kira that her podcast isn't blah, 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 blah. I'd have been killing myself over for ages. What I did, actually did was, as soon as I realized I hadn't recorded, I was downstairs and I was like, okay, I could picture, you know, me not telling her for two weeks. I could see my old self you know doing that and I was like no I texted her pretty much straight away I said Kira fuck's sake you won't believe this really sorry but look whenever whenever's good for you we'll get it done and she was like you know and pretty much we just went back at it the next day because uh, she was available and I was I just kind of said whenever you're available I will make myself available so we did it the next day best thing I ever did we got it recorded and there was no guilt there was no procrastination there was no long finger there was nothing it was just bish bash bosh done and uh, yeah it was great Uh, good story as in good story to hear interesting story and I think just very interesting from the point of view that like the reason I found it interesting was that she was surrounded by love and support and people and family and a mother you know a brilliant mother uh, just sometimes, you know, sometimes, obviously her dad dying when she was very young, and I'm not saying that was dealt with wrongly or incorrectly or should have been dealt with better, or you know, but these things aren't about who's right, pointing the finger, this should have been done, that should have been done. You know, luckily for Kira, we didn't lose her at a time when we could have, and it's just about untangling that story. Maybe we learn something from it. Maybe we won't, but if you know, maybe we'd still make. The, maybe I, maybe I'm still, I'd make that mistake, and I'm probably making the mistake with my make mistakes with my own children as you speak. But the point is, it's never too late to change your own story. And me personally, it was with therapy and thinking and writing and all that kind of stuff. But it's never too late to change your own story, and things can happen. You know, things can happen to that slip. You know, slip. I don't know. Miss slip the net. And that's just the, that's just life. There's a bit in the play that I hope you'll go and see, called Pure Mental. Follow me on social media for all the details, uh, where I talk about life. You know, this can happen to you when, you're, when you're young. That can happen. You can have these traumas. You can have these episodes. But also, or you, and also that you know society can be bad. But also, life can just be a bit shit you know it's arbitrary it's just shit things can happen nobody's fault and it's not about pointing the finger it's just about untangling all these things for yourself that's it 
Um, anyway, thanks very much for listening to the podcast and thank you very much to Ryan Mack for the theme tune. Thanks to John Connolly for all his help. Um, thanks to me for realising that I'm speaking into the wrong side of my mic. And uh, yeah, follow me on social media. I'm Keithy Walsh on Twitter. Keith Walsh on Instagram. I think you'll find me. I don't know what it is. Keith Walsh. Keith Dot Walsh or something. Uh, I'm not the solicitor of Keith Walsh. That's all you need to know. Uh, or or there's a famous skateboarder uh, who's from Ireland, Dublin, but now lives in America. Not him either. And uh, yeah, follow me on social media for details about the play. And if you've got a story, email me keithwalsh.walsh at gmail.com. That's it. Good luck. I gotta go. Say goodbye. Wrap it up. Sayonara. Good luck. See you later. Go yourselves. And I'm only joking. I shouldn't have said that. But um, I do have to go now. So, bye bye God, I just can't do these. I, can't, I just can't finish it. You know what I mean? Just can't finish it. I can't get to a point where I'm happy with the finish. Can't get to a like a happy finish. You know what I mean? Anyway, good luck. Goodbye. See you. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. <laughs> 